Good morning. Our passage today is Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, again. Um, if you're watching us online, it should show up on your screen, and um, it should be behind me. And if you guys have your bulletin, this is uh, in your bulletin as well. Listen to the word of God. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens. And stretch them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God. And this is our third week in this passage, Isaiah 42. Um, And we've been looking at it three weeks in a row, and we're going to look at it again next week and the week after. And why are we spending so much time in it? I think this passage has something to say to us in this season. And you can think of it as a diamond. You can look at a diamond from one angle, and it's going to look nice and pretty. And you turn it around, and it's going to look... You're going to see different lights that come from it as you hold it up uh, above you. And you turn it, and you turn it, and turn it. And today, and today is... We're midway through looking at this diamond that we see in Isaiah 42. This beautiful passage. And... In this passage, we're given a picture of the servant in Isaiah. This passage is one of the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah that point us toward the person and the work of Jesus. And the reason, again, why we're spending multiple weeks in this passage is because it contains what I think we need to hear in this, the start of this new season in the life of our church. We have been beat up. We're a bit disoriented still. And I know that we've been saying that. We're going to stop saying that at some point. But right now, we're going to continue to let God minister to us through his word. We're not going to wallow in the state that we're in. We're going to look to the reason that this church exists. We exist for the glory of Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd. It's his voice that we want to listen to. He is the one that we follow. He's the one that we've been singing to. He's the one we'll continue to sing to and worship And I love what this passage says about Jesus, especially given what we've gone through. Because we as a church, we are this bruised reed. We are the faintly burning wick. As a church, and perhaps for you as an individual, you feel like you're about to break. You feel like you're about to be snuffed out. When we realize that we are these bruised reeds and these smoldering wicks, then we see our need, and then we see our need. If we understand our need fully, if we understand how much we need Him, then we see our need for Jesus. And what should that cause us to do? It should cause us to be humbled. It should cause us to say to God, 
I have nothing before you. I need whatever it is you're giving me. I need that. Two weeks ago, we focused on the first word of the passage, that behold, we want to focus on Jesus. We want our thoughts to be concentrated on Christ. We want to study Christ. We want to know him. Behold the servant. Behold Jesus Christ. Not as an interesting historical figure. Not as a guru. Not as a distant conceptual deity. But Jesus Christ God, the second person of the Trinity. He is the creator of all things. He is the ground of all reality. Jesus is the one who defines reality. He is the one who is truer, truer than the truest of all things. As a person that we can know and relate to. Jesus is the one who knows the deepest and ugliest parts of you. And he still smiles when he thinks of you. Have you ever considered that? He is the one who conquers your sinful heart. And what does this passage refer to him as? As a servant. Not as the loud, boisterous king who rolls people over, but as a servant. Jesus makes himself low. Behold this Christ. He is the one that we exist for. That's what we talked about last week. Behold the servant. Behold Christ. This is what we need to do as a church. Don't behold your leaders. Don't behold your denomination. Behold Christ. Last week we talked about the necessity of neediness. We spoke of our weakness and why it's a good thing that we're poor and needy. Because it's in our weakness that the strength of God is made perfect in our lives and in our church. When we boast in our weakness, when we say, this is who we are with all our deficiencies and weaknesses and flaws. That's a good thing. Because it means that God's power is made evident. Because he can still work through this place. The power of Christ will rest on us when we realize that, when we boast in our weakness, when we realize how destitute we are, then we're willing to open up our hands and we say to God, now I'm ready to receive what you have for me. And what does he have for us? He has for us infinite riches, more riches than you can imagine, more than you could ever ask for. God says, this belongs to you if you would only open your hands. Admit to me that you need what I have to give to you. And when we admit our need, then we can begin trusting that he will provide for us and for our church. The good work of God in our life is often wounding us and allowing us to be plunged into the depths of pain and despair so that he can heal us. So that he can make us into the men and women and the church that he intends us to be. And thank you, Anna, for referring to this verse from Hosea that we looked at last week. Hosea 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Let us return. When you realize how needy and weak you are, then you can return. And there may be tearing that God does. There may be a striking down. There may be disappointment. There may be things that 
God does that vex us, that disappoint us and confuse us and infuriate us sometimes. But the heart of God is always to bring you back. The heart of God is always the ultimate healing of his people. The heart of God is one of love for you, for us. And this is where we need to be as a church, Indelible Grace Church, to understand our weakness and our neediness and let that neediness drive us to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. Go to Jesus constantly. Every single Sunday, every day of our lives, we go to Jesus. Behold Jesus. Now, if you'll allow me to continue to be a bit repetitive... I'm going to repeat again the things that I spoke of two weeks ago because I think it's so important for us to continue to think upon it and to ruminate on it. Let's think again on this imagery of the bruised reed and the faintly burning wick. Think about the bruised reed. Have you been hurt? Have you been torn up? Do you feel hollowed out? Do you recognize the sin in your life, the bitterness or the hard-heartedness or the lust or the greed or the hatred? Do you feel the effects of your sin? Do you understand that you deserve the consequences of your sin? Is your heart aching? Are you filled with anxiety? Is that you? And if it is, our passage tells us that the servant, Jesus He will bend down. He's going to look closely. And he will tenderly hold you and care for you. He will not allow you to be broken. The soft hands of Jesus will gather you up. He will not break you. He will not break this church. Think about the faintly burning wick. Are you tired? Are you discouraged? Do you feel like you've got nothing left inside you? Do you want to give up? Are you overtaken by doubts? Are you just going through the motions? Do you have hardly any trust in God anymore? And dare I say, perhaps you even hate God sometimes. Are you about to go under and does it feel like you're about to sink? Well, then you are this faintly burning wick in Isaiah. And the passage tells us that the servant knows. He sees you where you are. He sees that you are going into the ground and you feel like you're going to die. He knows that it feels like death to you. He knows this. He sees that you're about to be snuffed out. He knows your defeat. He feels your defeat. And if that is you, if this is us, then this is what the servant will do for you. He'll cup his hands around you and he will blow on this faint ember. This dying ember will come to life again, little by little. And though all the signs tell you that you're going to die, though all the statistics be against you, The promise is you will shine bright once again. You will live again. This is Jesus Christ. This is your servant. 
This is the heart of the servant. This is his heart for you. This is his heart for IGC. And we're looking at these verses again. This morning I want us to focus on verses 1 and 6. It's these two verses. We're going to look at the relationship between God the Father and God the Son in this passage. And what this means for us. And I want us to understand the significance of this covenant that God speaks of in verse 6. And how we are defined by that covenant. So look at me again in these verses. Verse 1. Behold my servants, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is God's relationship to the servants. And then look at verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. He's not speaking to us. He's speaking to the servants. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Our passage moves from verse 1 to verse 9 that we're going through, going, looking at. It goes from speaking about the servant to speaking to the servant. And just for the next few moments, um, this is going to be kind of a commentary type of sermon. I've got no illustrations unless they hit me as I speak. I'm going to be looking at the Bible. We're going to be looking at what this means for Jesus and what this means for us. So... Looking at these verses, I want to point out how the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son, how this defines not just the relationship, this Trinitarian relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, but also how it defines the ministry of Indelible Grace Church. What are the implications of this passage? So I'm going to go through uh, these two verses right here. Behold my servant whom I uphold. God upholds Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is strengthened by God. That he has a strength while he's performing his his ministry here on earth. He has a strength that's beyond his natural limitations as a human. And the implication is, if it requires the strength of the God of the universe to do his work, the implication is that his work requires a supernatural power and strength. The servant will do what no one else is able to do. Who else can raise the dead? Who else can stop the wind and the waves? Who else can feed 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish? Who else can make the proud humbled? And who else can exalt the poor and the needy, the lepers and the prostitutes and the rejected? Who else can do this with a pure heart, faithfully, consistently, without fail? That requires a supernatural strength. This requires the strength of God alone. God upholds his servants. Let's continue on in verse 1. The servant is chosen. He's my chosen. And he's called. Look at verse 6. He's called. He's chosen and called. This is the relationship between God, the Father, and the servant, the Son. Jesus is the anointed one. He has been chosen. He's been called to carry out the work of God in the world. Only he is able to carry out what God wants for his creation. The world was created good. And then it was marred by sin. It fell into a state of misery. And who can fix that? Who can make things right? 
Only one chosen by God, only one called by God to fix things, to make things right. The servant has been chosen and called by God. Not only that, but look at verse 1 again. In whom my soul delights, God delights in the servants. This passage in Isaiah, it, it, uh, it's referred to in the book of Matthew. And let me read to you these two verses from Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Uh, it's not going to be on your screen, so you can just listen along. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. This is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is amazing that God the Father loves the Son. Infinite Father, the infinite God in this Trinitarian relationship, has eternal, infinite love for the Son. And in Isaiah, he says to his Son, I delight in you. I have so much joy when I think about you. I have so much love that I pour out for you. The Father delights in the Son. This is a happy passage. There is happiness and joy in Isaiah 42. And then look at verse 6. I will take you by the hand and keep you. The Father takes Jesus by the hand. He keeps him. Jesus enjoys an intimacy with the Father. Again, this theme of love and affection between the Father and the Son. In his earthly ministry, Jesus was always dependent on the Father. He always had a line of communication with him. When he prayed, he said, you, my, the, it brings me joy to do this. My food is to do the will of my Father. There's an intimacy in this relationship. And then verse, the end of verse 6, I will give you as a covenant for his people, for the people, a light to the nations. What is this covenant? A covenant is a deep and profound promise between two parties. And God has made a promise of life to his people. That's you and me. To the Jews in the Old Testament. To us in the New Testament. He will always remain true to it. No matter what. This is a covenant. And what is this covenant? Uh, I'm going to read you another extended passage from Jeremiah 31. And also from Ezekiel. Listen to the new covenant that God speaks of. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's a lot of words, and you may not have caught everything, so let me um, explain to you the highlights of it. Jeremiah, in this uh, the Old Testament, book of Jeremiah the Lord says to his people this covenant that I'm making for you it's one where 
Even though you have sinned against me, even though you continually rebel against me, even though you continually turn away from me, I will not turn away from you. I will continually draw you to myself. And though you sin, I will forgive your sin. I will not remember your sin. And you can know me, not just as some, some conceptual figure, but you can know me personally. This is the new covenant. And in Ezekiel, it says this, I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So Jesus is given as the new covenant for his people. God's promise to you is not for a good life. God's promise to you is not that all your problems will be resolved. God's promise to you is not even that you will be happy eventually in this life. Although what he does that as a gift of grace, God's ultimate promise to you is Jesus Christ given to you as his covenant. And it says, you will be a light to the nations. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here in this passage, God is saying to his servants, I've called you. I've chosen you. My soul delights in you. I will uphold you. I will give you to the nations as a covenant and as a light. The subtitle of this pass of this sermon is um, "A Covenant People." We are a covenant people. How are we defined by the covenants? And here's my answer: It's only by the covenant that we can know God. It's only by the covenant that we can understand our condition before Him. We are sinners before a holy God. It's only by this covenant that we can understand these things, not just on a theoretical level. But deep in our bones, we can have a heart of flesh, in Ezekiel it says, instead of a heart of stone. And what does that mean for us? It means that we can actually feel the work of God in our lives. We don't just need someone to tell you that this is what's happening. But if you have a heart of flesh that he speaks of, you can feel it deep in your bones. You can feel conviction. If you feel guilt for your sin, that's the gracious work of God in your life. If you feel joy... When you see God working in other people's lives, that's a work of God in your life. Do you believe that the Spirit of God is in this room right now? That He is speaking to you, that He's encouraging you, that He's convicting you, that He's serving you, that He's loving you right now? Because that is what's happening. We can know in our hearts that we belong to God, that God is ours. It's by this new covenant that we can understand the purpose of our existence. So we are a covenant people. We are defined by this covenant that he speaks of here in Isaiah. And this new covenant is God loving us and making us his own by the work of his servants. The servant who carries out the work of God by showing us who God is. Jesus, what did he do? He lives the perfect life. He lived the perfect life and he died the death that we deserve for our sin. And because he did that, now we can know our creator. Now we can love him and delight in him. And he, just as he loves and delights in us, we can experience a new life now. We're guaranteed a full life in the resurrection. This is the new covenant and it's such good news if you really understand it.
God has saved us from death and wrath and judgments. And God, now he saves us from our love of sin. God is shaping us right now. He's shaping us through his word. And he's given us a new purpose. So this is what it means to be a covenant people. We are defined by this covenant. That this matters more than anything that we will ever accomplish as people. More than anything that we ever accomplish as a church. We're defined by this. What is Indelible Grace Church? What should we be known for? I hope we're known to be a good witness in our community. I hope that we're known to, um, we have ministries that serve the community. We preach the gospel. I hope we're known for these things. But we should above all be known for the fact that we are loved and known by God. So I'm going to take these uh what God has said about his servants. And I want us to think in terms of how God's relationship with his son defines not just their relationship, but also his relationship with us. And what does it mean for us, IGC, to be a covenant people? I'm going to read to you more passages from the Bible. Again, no illustrations. um, But I want to let the word of God sink into our bones. These words... In the scriptures, they have so much to say to us. So I want us to listen in. So this is the first. Just as Jesus was given as a covenant and as a light, God has made us ministers of the new covenant. God has given the world's indelible grace church to be a light. Listen to this passage from 2 Corinthians 3. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything As coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Do you hear that? We are ministers of this new covenant. That means that we continue to carry out the work of Jesus. This is a heavy task that we're given. How can we carry this out? And then Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Just as Jesus was given as a light to the world, we are now also a light to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is who we are. Ministers of a new covenant. Not just me as the preacher, but you. You've been given to the world to carry out a mission God upholds the Son, and we are also upheld. Listen to this passage from Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God, this is speaking of Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the universe by his voice. He upholds us. He upholds us as the servant who will not break the bruised reed. He upholds us as this faintly burning wick. He will sustain you. And I know that some of us here are going through a really difficult time in our lives. But Jesus will hold you. He will sustain you. Just as Jesus was chosen and called, so are we. Listen to this passage from, this verse from Isaiah 43. Thus now says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
in the mind of God is your name. And God has called you by that name. We're also chosen, the passage that Sammy led us in in the call to worship. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. You've been chosen to carry out the work of God. God did not choose you to come to church on Sundays, really. Although this is vital. If you're a believer, you need to be at church on Sundays. You need to worship with his people. But you're chosen to carry out the ministry of God. A royal priesthood, what does a priest do? A priest mediates between the people and God. Indelible Grace Church, you are called to such an important task. And then, it's not just hard work. God delights in us. Listen to this passage from John 17. This is Jesus speaking. This is his high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Jesus gives us the glory of God. That they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. I don't know if I'm ever going to wrap my head around the fact that God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Because from all eternity past, God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son were one. Eternal God loving his Son. And Jesus lived the perfect life. And you would think that that would count for something more than whatever we do would count for something. But God loves his Son. There's no, you, you cannot love anything more than God loves his son. And what does this passage in John say? It says that you are loved by God as much as he loves Jesus' son. I don't know how to properly communicate that to you. I don't. But when you think of your relationship with God, what do you think? Is he cold and aloof? Is he distant Does he not care about you? Do you wonder why he does these things to you? Everything that God does is in love for you. One day you will feel his full embrace. One day you will understand more than you've ever loved by anyone. That God loves you a trillion times more than that. You are delighted in by God. God delights in you. God in heaven looks down on our church and he smiles. And then, almost done, he takes you by the hand and he keeps you. God holds Jesus by the hand, he keeps you. Listen to this passage from Isaiah 41. I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is, to, it is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. God holds us by the hand like a daddy holds his son or his daughter's hand. 
Number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. God will hold you. God will keep you. He will not let you be lost. In John 10, 29 and 30, Jesus speaking, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What is the implication that God holds you and Jesus will protect you? He'll make sure that you are never taken from the hand of God. Never. Not by your sin. Not by other people. We are held, upheld. We're loved by our Father. So this is what this passage means to us. And let me just close off with a few thoughts. That this passage tells us that Jesus is God coming down and up close to humanity. He uncovers God. This is what Jesus does. He shows us the very heart of God for his people. He is the infinite God who condescends. Jesus stoops low. And he notices the bruised reed. He notices the smoldering wick. He notices you. He notices us. He patiently and persistently and lovingly and faithfully ministers to us. We are not items on his checklist. We are not just items on his agenda. We are the desire of his heart. And his affection is poured out on us. Do you get this? If you do, then you can do the ministry that he has called you to. If we understand this as a church, then we can do the ministry that we've been called to. What is ministry? A couple of weeks ago, we said that Jesus, he carries out justice. And this justice is this Hebrew concept of mishpat. The making of all things right. It's reorienting everything as it should be. It's fixing all broken things. Ministry is the remaking of things. Ministry is the making things, is making things right. And the desire of God is to remake the world. The desire of God is to remake IGC. It's to renew us. It's to revive us. We have to understand that. And here is what I'm thinking of right now as we are going through this strange, weird season. I don't know exactly what God is doing, but God is doing something. And this is what I see in you guys. Some of you guys come a long way to be here geographically. You sacrifice in order to be a part of this community. You've given an insensible amount of time or dollars or emotional energy to this place. To someone else, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why would you give whatever amount of money you give? Why would you come every Sunday? Why would you spend time with these people? Why? Not because it makes sense, but because Jesus is worth it. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is. Because Jesus is worth it. Because you want others to know that this is true and he's worth it. We are a people defined by the covenant. It's by the covenant that we can be forgiven and we can enjoy this relationship with the holy God. It's by the covenant that we can have peace, not just with God, but with ourselves and peace with others. And look at verse 5, if you have it in front of you. God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. God gives us his breath and his spirit. We can experience this new life. We can live lives of not striving We can live lives not of effort and pulling ourselves up our bootstraps, 
not of being savvy with our finances, not of being organizational geniuses, but lives marked by grace resting on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Our work at this church will be limited by our human strength and our willpower. The work that God wants to do through our church will only be accomplished if we know the gospel and live it out and preach it faithfully in his power. And next week we'll talk about what it means for this church to exist for the glory of God alone. But this is what I want to end with. We are not defined by what we do. We're not defined by our spiritual fervor. We're not, defi- we're not defined by what promises we make. We're not defined by how excited we can be. We are defined by God's covenant love for us in Christ Jesus. Does God love you because you do the right things? Is he faithful to you as long as you're faithful to him? If the answer to that question is yes, then you were in big trouble. But God loves us in his covenant love even in our unfaithfulness, even when we mess up, even when we make a mess of things as we have made a mess of things in this church. Holy cow, we've made a mess. But God will not break the bruised reed. He will not snuff out the faintly burning wick. If we can make our church about what Jesus does, then we can do ministry. And may we think upon that. May we give our lives to that truth. We'll have something to say if we understand that. Will you pray with me? Father, we, uh, I don't know. (laughs) What what are we doing in this church if not your work? Um, I pray that if there be anything of our own strength that you would show us that that's something we need to repent of. I pray that this place would be a place where your spirit moves, where the gospel, this covenant love that you give us is true and is preached and is lived out. We need you, God. We need you. And I pray that you would continue to do your work here. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.